0: Let me set the scene for today's message before we get into the the scripture text. Jesus has just performed a mega miracle. 5,000 men, plus their wives and their children, their sisters and mothers and aunts. Sorry, they didn't count women back then. They were following Jesus Listening to his teaching and being overwhelmed by the miracles that he was performing. Now imagine Fort Wayne's Memorial Coliseum. Have you ever been in there on a day that it's packed to the gills? Every seat filled, even the upper tier? That's the size crowd we're talking about. Following Jesus. So enthralled are they with this amazing teacher, this prophet I don't know. Did they lose track of time? I don't know. It doesn't say. Dinner time came and they didn't have any food. Jesus performs a miracle by taking one boy's sack lunch, feeding the whole crowd. Feeding the whole crowd. That's like you go in during intermission, you get yourself a tub of popcorn a plate of nachos, and a large Coke, and then Jesus feeds the whole Dagum arena with that. What? Can you imagine seeing something like that? And then there's leftovers. This is what's happening as we come to the text for today. Now, Jesus, he's exhausted. He's been working hard. And so he and the disciples, they go across the lake at nightfall, When the sun comes up the next day, the crowds notice that he's gone, and so they follow him and they find him, and that's where we're picking up the story today. I'm in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 26. Jesus says to them, Very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate that lunch, because you ate the loaves, and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. They asked him, "What must we do to do the works God requires?" Let's let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this this place and and this church where we can come in, in freedom to worship you in spirit and in truth. Please, dear Holy Spirit, please do illuminate this text. Illuminate your word so that we can see Jesus more clearly, so that we can know Jesus more intimately, so that we can love Jesus and our fellow man more completely as a result. It is in Jesus' name that I ask these things, knowing that you hear, that you care, that you love me, and that you promise to answer. Amen. First thing that Jesus does, he's not so much scolding them as he is giving them a course correction. You're coming to me because you think that by coming to me, you're going to get blank. Fill in the blank. Whatever it is they're looking for. Don't make blank your highest treasure. Please don't do that. Now, at the end of this story, we don't have time to get to it today, but at the end of this story, a lot of these folks are going to turn and walk away. A lot of these disciples are going to say they, they just can't believe it. They can't do what he's asking them to do. Why? it's the same reason why a lot of disciples today, a lot of people today, begin walking and then they just can't do it. They walk away. They give up on their faith. For so many people, it's not because they can't believe. It's not because they don't have enough evidence. And it's not because, though, they just want to be bad. They don't like the rules in the Bible. They just want to go live as rebellious sinners. They don't... For an awful lot of people, they walk away from Christ because in their minds, Jesus didn't hold up his end of the bargain. Now, they never spoke it out loud. They maybe never even noticed that that's why they were coming to Jesus. But at the end of the day, when he didn't hold up his end of the bargain, following Jesus became too much to ask. I know uh, several people for whom this is true. One person I know walked away because growing up in the church and through youth group and mission trips and everything, she felt a continuous high on fire for the Lord. And then she'd go to another concert and get that fire again. And then she'd go on another mission trip and get that fire again. But as she got older, the fires were weaker and they started coming less and less often. So she walked away. I know another guy who, when his life went badly, also walked away. This guy, again, taught his kids the scriptures, taught Sunday school in the church. But when life dealt him what we would maybe call a string of bad luck, it was just too much. And he didn't ever deny his faith. He's still alive today. He, didn't, he hasn't denied his faith. But you know what it was like? It was like he took Jesus and the faith that used to mean so much to him, put him in a closet, turned out the light, shut the door, and just walked, out, walked away and is just doing life as if there's nothing in that closet know anybody like this? Have you been somebody like this? I know of a pastor who has all but given up on his faith because some members of his congregation said things about him that were only half true, partial truths, in order to get him fired, and it devastated him, and it uprooted his family, and it jaded his kids, so much so that now he doesn't even know if he believes in God or not. There's nothing new going on in today's text. You guys, you want signs and wonders. You want miracles and healings, Jesus says. Quit working so hard for those things. Because even if you get them, they're not going to last. Instead, Jesus says, work for the things that will last forever. I think the message here for us is, don't expect from Jesus what Jesus never told you that he would give you. Continuous highs on fire for the Lord, nonstop. All your problems fixed, healthy finances, a dynamite marriage, health and wealth. What is it that people think following Jesus is supposed to give them? He never promises them these things. Instead, work for the food. That lasts forever. Go to Jesus instead for the food that you need the most, the food that will satisfy your deepest longing, the food that will never fail, and best of all, the food that Jesus does promise He will give us. We want Him to give us all these things that even if He gives us aren't going to last and that He doesn't promise He's going to give us, and then we get mad at Him when He doesn't give them to us. Instead, He says, Come to me, get the food that's going to last forever. Oh, by the way, I'm promising, I'm going to give it to you. Just come to me. Well, you might expect people in the crowds to ask, what is that food? Food that never go hungry again? Food that lasts for eternity? I I would like to know more about this food. They don't do that. Instead, they ask what kind of work they're supposed to do. That's a bizarre question, given what Jesus just said. If I said to you, Janet, you're up closest to the front. Janet, look, you're working. You're going to work. They're paying you in American dollars. Don't work for dollars, Janet. Come do work for me, and you'll get paid in something better than dollars. Wouldn't you want to know what I'm going to pay you in that's better than dollars? They don't ask that question. They ask, What do I have to do? See what I say? They still just want what they want. They still just want the miracle. And they figure. What they have to do is like a puppet on a string or a dance monkey dance, for perform for God so that he'll give them what they then eventually want. If I perform enough for God, God will give me what I want. This is the lie that they believe, the lie that they've been seduced by. And so they say to Jesus instead, they state to Jesus, what must we do? What works must we do that God requires? So what's the answer? Okay, Jesus, he'll meet them where they're at. He's an understanding, patient guy. He says, okay, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Excuse me? To believe? To believe in the one he has sent? What the heck does that even mean? Of course we believe in you, Jesus. You're standing right in front of us. What are you, what are you talking about? But they don't ask him what he means. They don't ask him what he means. Instead, what do they do? Instead, they put him in the witness stand. Instead, they bring him into the interrogation room. They sit him down. They shine the light on him. And they say, all right, you answer our questions. Give us signs. Tell us what God wants. Our ancestors ate man in the desert. What sign are you going to do? Verse 30. So they asked him, "What sign will you then will what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do?" Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And now do you? We've already kind of talked a little bit about okay, why do I come from Jesus? What are maybe some of those unspoken expectations that I have of him? What are some of those unspoken demands that I that I that I make of him? That if he doesn't give it to me, well, I just might walk away. I don't know what those are for you. But I'll bet if you dig a few inches down into your heart, I'll bet you'll find a few. A few things that you think Jesus owes you. That's sort of step one. Step two, have you ever, have you ever done something like that? what these people are doing here? I'll believe in you, God, if... I'll believe in you if, I'll follow you if, I'll obey you if. Whatever comes after if is a sin. See, it's not that doubt is a sin. I don't think that doubt is a sin. Jesus is infinitely patient with people who have honest doubts. But there is a world of difference between saying, prove it, God, as these people say in this text, and saying, like the centurion says, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. There is a world of difference between saying, prove it, God, and I believe, help my unbelief. Which one, uh, which pole are you closer to? today. The text continues, Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. They're com- he's comparing, they're comparing Moses to Jesus. They think he is putting himself on par with Moses. And they're saying, okay, prophet Moses gave us the manna, so what are you going to do for us, prophet Jesus, so that we would follow you? Because they rightly understand that following Jesus is a big deal. It's going to be costly. Following Moses was costly. Jesus says, it wasn't Moses who gave you that bread. It was God. And it's God the Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Finally, now they want the thing better than dollars. They still haven't asked too much about it. They still don't know what he's talking about. But now they'll take it. Okay, give us this bread. Are they saying it like with a pleading heart, like I really need it? Or are they kind of saying it like, all right, give me the bread and then I'll make up my mind? I think it's kind of the latter, but you decide for yourselves. Okay, give us this bread always, they say. Remember what's just happened? The witness, or the, the miracle that they just witnessed, the feeding. Of the thousands, what are they expecting him to do here? Jesus is saying he's going to give them the bread from heaven that gives life to the world. What are they expecting? They're expecting something bigger than what they just saw yesterday. Comparing it to Moses and the man, and do something even bigger than what we saw you do yesterday. Jesus then declared. Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. Right right there's the proof that what I've told you so far. These people, many of them anyways, these people are not believers and they're not going to be believers. They're coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. They don't understand that their proper posture before God. You don't come to God and then make demands of Him. That's not how this works, friends. You come to God because He is God. You come come to God not because you need X, Y, or Z for a happy life. You come to God because you need God. next few verses are so beautiful. Jesus says, All those the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life and I will raise them up on the last day. Can you see the dovetailing now that's happening and how John has woven together his book and these I am statements that Jesus makes? I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. They know my voice. I am the the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me though he dies will live. Before closing, I want to look more closely with you at one verse in particular, verse 35. Can you put that back up there? Verse 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. We can stop right there. The thirsty part is a re- recapitulation it's a, it's it's a, it's the same thing he's saying the same thing using different language whoever comes to me will never go hungry what do you think jesus means by those two verbs come to me go hungry Let's start with the uh, second one first. What does he mean when when he says never go hungry? Does, does, Does Jesus mean that you will never have to eat again? Everybody moves their heads like this. Good job, guys. Good job. No. Pretty sure his disciples keep eating. Hunger is an uncomfortable feeling. Does it mean whoever comes to Jesus will not have to deal with uncomfortable feelings anymore? Everybody do this with you? Good job, good job. This keeps us awake too. It's like calisthenics. Pretty sure that the church has uh, never been spared its share of discomfort. That's not what he means. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry again. What is this hunger that Jesus is offering to satisfy once and for all? I believe the answer lies in this, that hunger and thirst are metaphors. A metaphor is a word picture. Hunger and thirst are metaphors for my need to know God. See, you think you know what your problem is. You, like the crowd coming to Jesus, you think you know what your problem is. It's my situation, right? It's my life. It's my aching back or my terrible credit score or it's those darn Democrats those darn Republicans. It's your cranky husband. Whatever. Jesus says, no, it's not. That's not your problem. They're not your problem. You don't know what your problem is, God. Guys, you, your problem is you need to know your God. Now, if you can achieve that, not just knowing about God, but knowing God, your Father, you can have that hunger taken care of. If you can have that hunger taken care of, it'll always be taken care of. Not that you can't know him better, you will. But you will never not know God. If you can come to God and you can know God, you will never not know God any more than I can never, I not know my kids. I'm always going to know my kids. I can't unknow them. Same thing with God. Secondly, if this greatest need in your heart is met, watch then how all those other things that you think are so important start to get smaller and smaller. They, it's not that they're not important anymore. They don't go away, but they start to get smaller and smaller, a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller. As your relationship with God gets bigger and bigger, watch your relationships to the things that you thought you needed becomes smaller smaller and smaller. People didn't want to hear that. The people in this story, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't want knowing God to be more important to them than knowing fill in the blank. Do you get me? Do you get me? They did not want knowing God to be more important to them than having their problems fixed or to comfort or to pleasure or to being happy or healthy or whatever. They didn't want knowing God to be more important than those other things. They wanted to desire those other things more than God. They were deceived, and they believed the lie that those other things are where it's at. And I'll get around to knowing God eventually if he does enough of these other things for me. No, you won't. No, you won't. You won't. You can either know God more. See, so this is the God side, right? You can I get my gestures. You can either know God more, see that desire to know God more, get bigger and bigger and bigger. Or you can try your hardest to see your knowledge of health, wealth, and pleasure get bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, if you choose option two, Not only will you know God less and less until you don't know him at all, the worst part about it is the health and the wealth and the pleasure are going to escape you as well. Now what are you left with? That's what Jesus means when he says, never go hungry. What does he mean when he says the other part, the first part of that phrase? Come to me. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. He means I need to know Jesus to know God. You cannot know God. You cannot even want to know God till the Spirit breaks your heart, and gives you new life. The Spirit then ushers you or leads you to Jesus, who brings you to his Father. Ask him to show you the way. Ask him to take you to the Father. John the Baptist had a motto. John the Baptist said, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. John, if I may be so bold as to say this, was only partially right. You see, if your motto is, I must increase... If you think of Jesus at all, it will be to shrink him down until he's a manageable trinket in your hand, a tool to get what you want, a tool to make you bigger. But on the other hand, if your motto is, he must increase, loving him, knowing him, Making him famous. If he must increase in importance in my life, then you know what you'll find. As he increases in your mind, in your life, in your heart, in your world, you don't get smaller. He picks you up and he puts you on his shoulders like a kid watching the fireworks, hanging out with his dad. And as he gets bigger, what happens to you? What happens to your view? You're right there with him. These are the options that are presented before us today. Choose to come to Jesus because he is God. Period. All stop. And ask him to take you to the Father. What did he ask, Peter? Do you love me more than these? There's two ways to read that. Do you love me more than these guys love me? Or do you love me more than the things of this world? Isn't aren't there? Do you want to love Jesus more than you want to love the things of this world? Maybe you're not there yet. I don't think any of us are there yet. All of us still love things, some things of this world, probably. But do you want to love Jesus more than you want to love the things of this world? If the answer to that is yes, then you belong to him. And that's who this meal is for, all of those people who say yes to that question. So it's not a, as we come to the table now in just a minute, it's not a Presbyterian table or Adam's table, heavens no, it's not St. Andrew's table, it's the Lord's table, and the people of the Lord are welcome to come to the table.